We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. Father, it is our honor to come this morning to worship the Lord together as a family and a body of believers. Lord, we know your word is truth. We believe it's sweet and a delight to our ears. And Lord, sometimes while the word can be hard to digest, hard to implement in our lives, Lord, we know it's the best thing for us. And Lord, as we go through this message today, I pray that you fill me and empower me with the Holy Spirit that I might speak the truth with boldness and in Encourage, and Lord, I just pray your message would be an encouragement, a uh, challenge to all of us this morning, those here and those listening. Father, we are grateful for all the many people whom serve in this church. We thank you, Lord, for those that are willing to uh, act in their Christian walk with the Lord through being servants. And Lord, we, we know that's pleasing to you and we thank you for blessing us with a multitude of people who are willing to dedicate their lives to other people to further the kingdom and the gospel message. So Lord, this morning as we come together, I just ask that this be honoring to you and that you give us something to take with us so that we might become more made in the image of Christ as we leave here today. And we ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, we've been working through the book of 2 Peter. <clears throat> we've been in this book for several weeks now. For those that have been here, you know that if you're visiting. Uh, this is our ninth week in to the book of 2 Peter, and where we find Peter is really trying to draw us a picture of these false teachers. He's trying to make us see what these people look like. And now, false teachers don't always have to be standing in the pulpit. They can be sitting in the pews. And so, Peter wants us not only to be like watchmen, protecting one another, watching out for one another. He's wanting to make sure that we as Christians, in all aspects of every walk of Christianity that we ourselves are what we really claim to be. And so there's a, a purpose in which Peter's warning us through this process to evaluate our own lives as well as be willing to look out for those phonies. There, if you remember in chapter 1 and verse 10, uh, Peter reminds us from the very beginning of this book. He says, Be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. Peter has given us many places, you and I, to check ourselves to make sure that we match up to a biblical picture of what Christianity looks like. And Peter will continue this morning in teaching us what false teachers appear like on the outside as well as on the inside as we begin to look at these fake teachers. We've been working through an outline, if you remember. And just a few weeks ago, we looked at understanding false teachers through their destructive heresies. Uh, three weeks ago, we looked at... Uh, or two weeks ago, we looked at understanding false teachers through their destructive judgments. We, we saw that those who are unrighteous, those that are phony Christians, those who are pseudo-Christians, will not inherit the kingdom of God, but they will receive the wrath of God. But yet, while we see that kind of God, we also see a God for those who are in Christ, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, those that have put their faith in the Lord of Lords, that He will rescue them and deliver them from the wrath to come when He returns back. And then last week, we looked at understanding false teachers through their destructive characteristics and how we viewed them and their attitudes and in their behavior. And this week, we're going to look at understanding false teachers by understanding their illusions. I made a change this morning, sorry. It says promises there, I wanted to say illusions. So... We, we want to understand false teachers through their destructive illusions this morning. Now, I have titled the message that, but a subtitle goes there as, as I want to call it, Empty Dogs and Dirty Hogs. 
And I will clarify that a bit more towards the end of the message. But today Peter is going to make clear that these false teachers, these false Christians will make claims, they will make promises in which they claim to be reliable, but yet in truth they are unreliable. They make claims to offer you freedom. They claim to make you offers of things that seem on the surface freedom, but really they cause you bondage. And on the outside they look good, but inwardly they are empty and void of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you will this morning, let us get started. Turn with me to the, the second book of Peter there, Second Peter chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 17 to 22. He reads this, These are springs without water. Mist driven by storm, for whom the darkness, the black darkness, has been reserved for speaking out of arrogant words of vanity. They entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome by this he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord Savior Jesus Christ, and they are again entangled into them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed to them. It has happened to them according to the proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallow in the mire. <clears throat> Peter, right off the bat, begins to jump back on these false teachers. He's not holding back anything. Peter's not happy with them. He doesn't like them. And he knows that they come in unnoticed. They creep in unnoticed, the Scripture tells us. And they sit there in the church today as a reef just under the water. And so it's only a matter of time until we as Christians, I'm not saying we have a church full of false teachers, don't misunderstand me. But what Peter's saying is that they are in the churches and they come in unnoticed and they're like reefs submerged under the water. You can't see them on the surface. And it's a matter of time until you run aground one. And so he is going to battle right back at them. And so this morning there are a few points that I want to take from this passage of Scripture that I think will help us understand the fakeness of these false teachers. And number one, it will be the, we see false teachers' illusions in their persons. We see false teachers' illusions in their promises. And thirdly, we see false teachers' illusions in their positions. Now, why do I say illusion? Well, first question that we need to ask is, what is an illusion? Most people know what an illusion is. Um, don't mistake illusion for the A in front. That's an English thing, and I, I had to struggle through that last night as I was really trying to grasp what illusion was, you know, my smart self. And so, why I say illusion, because the definition of illusion by Webster is this, is the action of deceiving. Okay? An illusion is a perception of something objectively existing in such a way as to cause misinterpretation of its actual nature. It's going to be a long sermon if my notes run out of ink here, because it's not looking good. But we're going to keep going. And so, an illusion may look like this. You know, look at that picture. Is that a real vault? Or is it a picture? I want you to know that's a picture drawn with crayons and color. While it looks like a real vault with money coming out, it's not. Look at this next photo. This guy here is metal detecting in the city and he's dug down through the asphalt and he's, look at him, pouring out the coins there. It's an illusion. It's an amazing, these are amazing pictures. 
But my point that I'm trying to make is while these are very cool, they give us a great example of what false teachers portray in their lives. These false teachers have special illusions about them and Peter's not going to let them slip away. He wants us to be aware of what's going on. And so the first thing we see is false teachers' illusions in their persons. They are not as they appear, folks. Let's read verse 17. It says, "They These are springs without water, mist, driven by a storm, from whom the black darkness has been reserved. Peter begins with these. Who are these? Well, it's referring to these false teachers. He's really been dealing with them in the last two chapters, but more so in the last 16 verses that we dealt with when he's given the pictures of false teachers. He's given pictures, he's given judgment, he's given pictures, he's given judgment, and he's going to do the same today. And so Peter says, these are springs without water. They are dried up, they're empty, And that's what he's trying to communicate. He's trying to draw the picture just like when we go to a well to draw water, we expect to be refreshed. But when we go to the well and we drop our bucket down into the well and we pull it up, there's nothing there. These false teachers are dry wells or their springs have stopped flowing with water. They can do anything but refresh. They're disappointing. And here I can't help But think this morning as we read there in the book of John as this woman came to the well to draw water. And I remember Jesus being there. He's in Judea, if you remember, and He's traveling traveling to Galilee. And every Jew would tell you when they go to Galilee, they don't go through Samaria. They didn't like the Samaritans. But yet Jesus, in His great mission ability, his great heart for evangelism, what's he do? He says, we're going right through Samaria. And there he meets the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And we see it there in verses 7 to 14. As it says, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore a Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? You see there, she didn't even get it. Dude, what are you doing here? I'm a Samaritan. We say we are to worship on Mount Gerizim. You would say we're to, to worship in Jerusalem. So which one is it? You're a Jew. Why are you doing here? And so she continues... In verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would ask Him and He would have given you living water. She said to Him, Sir, you don't have anything to draw with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Are you who gave us this well and drinks of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answers that everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him never shall thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. You see, the water that Jesus Christ offers us is water that brings about eternal life. It's refreshing. It's good. It's filling. It gives us what we need. But these false teachers, no, they give, offer you water. But when you get it, it's dry and it doesn't exist. Now what's interesting about this passage as we look at it, and it just in itself, it doesn't really come out in the English. But when we look there, at when it says, everyone who drinks... Of this water will thirst again. Now what's interesting about that first word drinks, okay? It's found in the present active form of the Greek language. That means there is no 
way of knowing when that stops. You drink, but you'll get thirsty again. You drink, but you'll get thirsty again. You drink and you drink. And listen, I've been on a diet for 30 days. And the more water I drink, I can't get enough. I'm drinking like 10, 12 big bottles a day and I'm still thirsty. That's the kind of drink Jesus is saying. When you draw from this well, you will continue to thirst. But Jesus says, whoever drinks, right there, go back one, whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again. The word there in, that says drinks there is in the aorist tense. That means it's a one-time drink. And this morning what I'm telling you is when you take upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have to keep going back again and again and again and again to get saved. God saves you once and for all. That is a true teacher. That is a true man of God that can offer that. And that's what Jesus Christ does here. But these false teachers know they will offer you something they can't produce. They will offer you drinks in which they don't have. Because they're like dry wells or streams that have run dry. But Christ, the true truth giver, oh, He gives water. He gives life that springs up to eternal life. Something that's refreshing. Something that you don't get from these phonies. These false teachers, folks, I want you to understand, will offer you things of this world. They will offer you things that are pleasing to your eyes, pleasing to your ears. And you will expect as you partake to be refreshed. Oh, it may taste good for a while, but in the end, it was nothing. It was only an illusion of what they were offering because they have no spiritual insight to offer you. They're false, they're phonies, they're pseudo-Christians. No matter what a man owns, he always wants more. They can offer you water, but their springs are not producing. You see, people in our culture, all you got to do is get on Facebook for a couple of days and look into the lives of people. And they, oh, they're crying out loud for attention. They want love. They want somebody to love them. They want joy. They want peace. They want comfort. They want all of the things that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And yet they're taken from this and they're taken from that. And they're taken from the world. And they're taken from all of these people who say, do this, it'll make you happy. Read this book and you can have your best life now. Do this and do that. And yet they are offering things that are empty. And yet we come back and we're thirsty again. False Christians, listen, they will offer you religion instead of a relationship. Do this. Be baptized. Check this off to your list. Let me sing songs that are only songs I like. Only sing these songs. These are godly songs as if God did not live in the 70's. As He didn't live in the 60's. As the Holy Spirit's changed the difference in that time period as He has today. Listen. We sing contemporary music and the Holy Spirit is just as active in those as He is in the traditional hymns. The purpose is to worship God. But the world will say, no, only sing this music. This is the godly thing. These false teachers will offer you cash instead of Christ. They will offer you to material blessings of life that come from this world. Go for that promotion. It's more money. Sacrifice your family for its behalf. It's okay. Quit that job and take another one for a little bit more pay because it'll give you more money when really God had an intent for you to stay in that position so you might lead a soul to Jesus Christ. The world will call us to persuade us through its money. And these false teachers, listen, they will offer you looks instead of the Lord. They will call you ladies to dress inappropriately to draw attention to yourself. They will convince you that you can't get a man unless you look like the women of the culture. While all the more Jesus Christ 
has a man prepared for you. Perfect. This world will sell you short of your purity and seek for you your innocence. But you remember their promises are void. They are like dry wells, empty springs which don't produce water. While your beauty will fade, and while your money will run out, and your religion will make you weary, Jesus says, if you drink the water of life, you will have refreshment. You will never thirst again. You won't have to chase the things of this world to receive your happiness, to receive your joy, because your joy will be found in Jesus. You will find peace. You will find that joy. You will find that acceptance. Listen, Ephesians 2.10 says that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We need to have a biblical self-esteem, not a worldly self-esteem. You know, it doesn't surprise me of, of why so many people dress inappropriately today because they don't have a biblical self-esteem. They want to draw attention when they fail to realize they are created from the workmanship of Jesus Christ. They are beautiful because God created them that way. They don't have to show themselves. Jesus says, drink of this water. You will find that peace. You will find that contentment that comes from knowing Jesus Christ personally. But false teachers, on the other hand, these are springs without water. They are mist driven by storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Not only will they offer you water that can't produce, they are like rain clouds that failed to produce rain. You know, in the South, this probably doesn't mean that much. We get a lot of rain in the South year-round, typically a lot in the winter. But in the context, think about this Middle Eastern country of this desert terrain where they solely depend on the rain to fall. They need water for their crops, they need water for their animals. Maybe we don't understand that culture over there, so let's bring it into our own culture. Think about the state of Montana. You know, I've only been here for, for a couple of years now, but I know come July, it's going to be hot. And when all that snow melts, and this non-humidified place begins to get hot... It's going to dry up everything. And we're going to have people praying to God for rain to come because fires are going to start burning. Wilderness is going to be ablaze. There's going to be no rain. It's going to be hot. And come August, we're going to be looking. And so imagine all of the people praying for rain. And we look out and behold, we see dark clouds coming. The wind starts blowing. The, the clouds are coming over the, the mountain range, whatever it's called. They're coming this way or it's coming this whichever way it goes. They're coming. And we're excited. Rain's coming. And it comes and the clouds come over us and they're twisting and we get a little mist. We feel some humidity. And next thing you know, the storm simply blows it right by us and it drops no rain. That's what these false teachers are considered. Jude calls them clouds without rain, without water. A farmer needs water. And a cloud without water to a farmer in need is worthless. We are the souls that need the living water that God can offer only through Jesus Christ. And these false teachers, listen, they may seem good, their offers may seem good, their teachings may seem pleasant in their personalities, and maybe their messages are even sweet to the ears. But Scripture says they're clouds without water. 
They are empty teachers that give you nothing. And just like the mist are driven by the storms, the storm blows the clouds, so these false teachers in their doctrine are blown here and there, and they accept whatever the culture brings about. And today, all across America, there will be men and women who will come and sit under a teacher, and they will hear the Word of God by a false teacher, and they will leave empty. Some of them because they desire it. Some because they don't know any better. But 2 Timothy tells us that there will come a time when, they, when the people will accumulate for themselves teachers and in accordance to their own desire and they will turn away from the truth and turn to myths. And in our day, there's churches all across the world which are false teacher filled. And some will understand it, some will not, and some will say, yeah, I get it, but I'm here to change the church. And the problem with that is that when old Joey or whoever it is sees that old Bob is going to a false teaching church, he thinks, well, Bob's going there, it can't be that bad, maybe I'll just visit. And next thing you know, the false teachings being penetrated onto their lives. Scripture says, get away from these people. Stop allowing them to come into your life and penetrate your mind with things that are meaningless. These are springs without water, mist driven by a storm from whom the black darkness has been reserved. This book from start to finish, from chapter 1 onward, we see has not held back the teachings of what would happen to these false teachers. Just in chapter 2, we see it like six or seven times. Let's look for an example. Chapter 1, or chapter 2, verse 1, it says that the master who bought them bringing swift destruction upon themselves. There's a destruction of these false teachers. Verse 3 in chapter 2, judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Verse 9, God is able to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. There's judgment is coming. Like unreasoned animals in verse 12, will in the destruction of these creatures also be destroyed. Here they're destroyed again. <coughs> verse 14 says they are accursed children. And here in verse 17, those whom the black darkness has been reserved. Really, and, and out to the side, if, you're, if you have a Bible that pictures the actual word order, it says blackness of darkness. There's an extreme blackness in which they will enter. Some portray it different levels of hell. Not everybody will burn the same with the same heat. Those who have been given revelation will be more than those who had less. And here we see these false teachers, there's a place that has been reserved. Don't miss that. That's a very important word. <coughs> All of these places fail not to express where these people will spend eternity. They may have illusions in their personalities, but their lack of understanding in their destination is very clear. They have a place reserved because of their illusions. It says in 18, For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. So we go from a picture to a judgment and now we go from the judgment back to a picture again. He's starting to draw some more pictures of these false teachers. We see here again, as we looked at last week, that these false teachers are enticing. They, they, they entice people. They reach out for people. They try to lure people in with some kind of illusions. They have some kind of allure that they are using that gives them some kind of success in catching their prey. A good question for us to ask when we look at that is, what are those lures? It says here, by speaking arrogant words of vanity. 
Basically what he's saying is they flower up their speech. They talk in ways to draw people and in this illusion in their person. Paul, one of the smartest men that I know in the Bible, felt that he didn't need to flower up his speech. He didn't need to stand behind his degrees. He didn't need to throw out his intellectual aspects of life in order to gain people. 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5 says, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling, and my message and my preaching was not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. That's the true preacher and teacher of the Word. Teaching not in their own wisdom, but leaning on the power of the Word of God. You know, it's sometimes we see teachers, they will take stances, they will give very little biblical reason why they believe, and then when they do give biblical reason, they twist it for their own desire. Because they don't look at all of Scripture as inspired by God. Every single word. They don't look at it as, as if it truly happened. As if, as if the donkey really spoke to Balaam. Oh, that was not really, that didn't really take place. Or the flood didn't really happen. And so when that takes place, we begin to make the Word of God what we want to mean. And that's what these false teachers are doing. They're, they're flowering their speech. And Peter is telling us, they come with different motives. They come with arrogant speech. You could say inflated words, boastful words, but they are empty and they lack wisdom. Listen, that's not the only bait in their tackle box. I, I grew up on the coast. I fished my whole life. I, I fished many years on a tournament trail. And I can recall times where we had one fish in the box. I mean, a good winning fish and all we needed was one more and there he is. I can see him in the water. And a good fisherman don't leave fish to catch fish. They catch the fish. Their objective is to lure that fish to eat their bait. And so what a good fisherman will do is he'll stand back, he'll fish. When he won't eat that, guess what he'll do? He'll reach in his tackle box, he'll get another lure, put it on. He'll do that. He'll reach in his tackle box until that fish bites. And that's what false teachers do. They lure you. And that's not the only lure in their tackle box. It also says they entice by fleshly desires. By sensuality. Freedom of sexual perversion. Those who barely escape the ones who live in error. They want you to... They want to give you what you want to hear. They want to tickle your ears. That's perfect picture of a false teacher feeding you fleshly desires. And their words are driven by the lust of the flesh. They know not the things of the Spirit. They will teach you health. They will teach you wealth. They will teach you prosperity. They will teach you no sin. They will teach you no hell. They will teach you no judgment. They will teach you the grace, grace, grace of God and never talk about sin. They will teach you that sexual sin is okay. They will tell you, listen, it's okay to live together before you get married. You know? Like we're going to a car lot to take a test drive. They will say, oh, homosexuality is not a sin. It's a lifestyle. God won't judge you. <laughs> they will teach you that all religions lead to the same God. Buddhists, Muslims, Mormons. And they will say, listen, it's like, it's like we're standing on a mountain, Stuart. And there's, and, and there's religions all the way around the base of the mountain. And God's at the top. And no matter how you get to Him, everybody's getting to the same God. <laughs> 
You know the problem with that? The God of our Bible came down off the mountain. And He met us as a man in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We don't worship the same God. Heresy, false teaching. They will write good books on how to commercialize the church. How to sell Christ. You know, I can't remember where I heard it. This is not my own idea. But when we think about decorating the gospel, when we think about prettying up the Word of God, think about it this way. I have two daughters. Okay? When they get older... Maybe when they're 20, they'll get married. Maybe they won't leave the house. I don't know what, what the plan is. But imagine my daughters when it's time to marry them off. What would I look like if I as a father dressed up my daughter all pretty and like a harlot and put them out on the street and said, I want to marry off my daughter. Buy into her. Get her. Come get her. That's the same thing we do when we pretty up the gospel message. Jesus Christ doesn't need to be dressed up. His, his, his message is wonderful, is graceful, is, is absolutely perfect, and it doesn't need human help. We simply need to tell people the gospel message and allow God in His great love and how He loved us. Not that we loved Him, but that He became a man so that we might have life. But these teachers will sell the gospel and they will use methods that are phony. And it also says that they go after those that are barely have escaped from the ones who live in error. Listen, they're, they're, they're searching for new Christians. People who do not understand the doctrine of the faith. They will make you big promises. They will be like empty wells though. And they will try everything they can to lure you in. And so, believer, I want to tell you this morning, test everything you hear by this. Everything I teach you, everything anybody teaches you, you test it with the Word of God. You test every spirit by the Word of God. Because I'm by no means no perfect man. And if I'm ever found in error, forgive me. But I'm not above it. The Word of God is not easy to understand. We need to test everything. That's all I'm saying. So we've seen these false teachers' illusions in their persons, but also we see false teachers' illusions in their promises. They will make you promises, but they cannot produce. They will make you think they are full of living water. And while that's not true, their wells are empty. Their streams are dry. Here's a picture that I, I took. Uh, well, I was in Israel. And, and, and straight up over the left side of that picture is the ascent of Adomin. And here is one of the riverbeds that during the summertime is completely dry. This is what false teachers offer. And as we were praying this morning, Rob was referred to Psalm 1 in his prayer. And Psalm 1 basically says, Blessed uh, is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he will meditate day and night, and he will be like trees planted by what? Streams of water. You see those trees there? They don't live there for no reason. Because every year the flood season comes, these will burst with running rivers and those trees are drawing off of the very water that comes by them. And we as Christians need not to draw from a desert teacher 
but from teachers that are full of living water, that have spiritual discernment, that can offer you the Word of God, offer you the hope of Jesus Christ, not the hope of prosperity and other false things. They will promise you big things, but they will fail to produce. Peter says false teachers, while they are promising freedom, while they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Now that's very interesting here that the false Christian will promise you freedom. That sounds good. It might even look good. It might even be a great offer coming off of the tongue. But remember, it's only an illusion because you can't save somebody when you're a slave yourself. You know, let me ask you, how many of you guys want to be saved by this guy? Yeah, it ain't going to work too good, is it? That's what false teachers are saying. You can have freedom. You can have freedom in your sexuality. You can have freedom by believing works saved. You can have freedom by believing that all roads lead to God. Freedom, freedom, freedom. But yet He's locked up. He can't save you. They promise freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. They are slaves to fleshly lusts in verse 10. They reject authority in verse 10. They've been trained in greed in verse 14. Their eyes are full of adultery in verse 14. They love the ways of unrighteousness in verse 15. How can they make promises to free somebody when they have this on their heads? The Word says, listen, if you get anything out of this message... The Word says freedom comes from Christ. In Christ alone. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the the life. The promise of freedom is in Christ. So if the Son makes you free, the Scripture says you are free indeed. These are bogus Christians. They've made confessions of faith, but they have no progression in the faith. They know the plan of salvation, yet not knowing the man of salvation. They offer freedom, but all they get is failure. We've seen illusions of these fakes in their person, in their promises, and lastly, we see third, we see false teachers' illusions in their position. They want you to think they're Christians. They know the terminology, they know the words, but they have a different dictionary. Peter has made it clear that these are flesh people of fleshly nature. They are like unreasoning animals. But here we see illusions within their position. They look like Christians outwardly, but inwardly they are empty. Their wells have run dry. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. And the last state has become worse than the first state. Although these people had escaped the pollutions of our day, of the world, at one point they've returned back to its lust. They've been overcome by its power. They've been entangled in the delights of the world, the things of the flesh. (coughs) The gospel in which they initially confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, they now renounce. In the Lord, the Savior Jesus Christ, they had embraced maybe at one time, they've now rejected In the world in which they had escaped has now recaptured them once again. Now many people will say this is a passage that teach you can lose your salvation. That's not what he's saying. We believe in eternal security. Once saved, always saved. They heard the truth. They liked the truth. They may even have gotten excited about the truth. But verse 15 says that they turned away from the truth. They exchanged the truth for a lie. Romans 1. And they listened. Their time in which the Lord can overturn individuals who reject the Holy Spirit in His call. If these people were false teachers and they had a place reserved for them, they're going there. 
that God had already to turn them over to a depraved mind. God's omniscient. He knows everything. He don't send people to hell who are knocking on the door. But listen, this morning, if you're here and, and you've heard the Holy Spirit knocking on your life over and over and over again, and you continue to reject and turn away from it, there's no way of determining when the Lord will stop. We don't seek after God. The Bible says no one seeks after God. No, not one. It's, it's God Himself who loves us enough that He makes the initiative to reestablish that relationship with Him. The last state, it says, has become worse than the first. And listen, I don't know about you, but when you share your faith enough, the hardest people to reach are the people that you witness to that have walked in the church, that grew up in the church, that heard the truth of the gospel, that prayed the prayer five and six times. And then when things got hard, they walked away. They may even have prayed again a few times, but really they never trusted in Jesus Christ. In John 1, 2, 9 it says this, They went out from us, but they were never really of us. For... If they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. You see, time is a key determining factor in whether a person has truly been born again. Because if you claim to be of the faith and you walk away from it, and you live a lifestyle of sin. I'm not saying that, that there's not one sheep of the 99 that goes astray and we don't go to find it. We've all, at least in my experience, I've done things or I've turned from God. But the, the difference is, 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 is I have a gift of the Holy Spirit that convicts my heart that what I'm doing is wrong and it makes me in agony to live in that lifestyle. And so whether you walk away once a week and God convicts your heart and you come back, that's good. That's called the process of sanctification. Eventually, God wants to make it to where you don't do that anymore. And only you can be the determining factor of that. Because I can tell you this, God don't make mistakes. He who began a good work in you, the Bible says, will complete it until the end. Regeneration. And I don't want to throw out a big word. Regeneration means God has changed your heart. He has regenerated your heart. He has given you a new heart. Okay? Regeneration is not like some kind of outfit that a person puts on and then removes it when they don't want it on anymore. Regeneration is being made into a new creation in Christ. Peter goes as far as to say, for it would have been better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than having known it and turned away from the holy commandments. Because what's happened is these people have been placed in a reservation. They have a reservation with the places of darkness because they reject it. So it would be better that they never heard it. To have been given over to the truth over and over and over and to reject the gospel every, every time when God sets up a reservation for that person, that person will be at that place at His appointed time. Now, I don't believe that it's saying here that God won't draw every man to Himself. I believe that even if you are a sinner this morning, even if you failed, even if you blew it, God in His great mercy can still draw you to Himself. You know when the last time he, can he turns you over to a depraved mind? When you step into the grave. God loves every single sinner the same. And He wants everybody to come to a saving knowledge of Himself. I, never pr I pray that none of you will never meet that point in life in which God turns you over. I don't pray that anyone would ever fall into that kind of rejection in your life. But we need to make sure that when we do fail, because you will, 
You may not have failed in the last couple days or the last couple weeks or the last couple months. God in His grace has kept you from it. But eventually you will fail. And when you do, we need to claim 1 John 1.9. And we need to ask for forgiveness from the Lord in return. Another thing we can learn here is that when we feel the Lord leading us to believe in Him, that we shouldn't reject the call of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But we should respond to the gospel message when it's given. Because if God be for us, then who can be against us? The last verse here says, it's happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in its mire. The dog. Most of us have owned dogs. Most of us know dogs very well. And if a dog eats something, sours in his stomach, and he pukes it up, if you leave that dog to himself, guess what he'll do? He'll eat it again. Looks like Chinese food. Hmm. <laughs> Hope you're not eating Chinese today. They get sick. When they walk away, they think about it. And they turn around and they go back to it. And that's a comparison to what these pseudo-Christians look like. Now, I can't help but think in my life, I've been like that dog that's returned to the vomit. Because it's not until... See, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't live a perfect life like I know most Christians do. (laughs) But I returned to the vomit quite often as a young believer. In addictions, in struggles. But God in His grace, through the power and the mercy of Jesus, has begun to grow me to where I don't go back near as much. Because, though a false teacher always returns to his vomit, Christians sometimes go back and eat. The difference is, is the more we grow in the Christ, less we go back into the world. These are animals. He gives us, again, another illustration of the nature of an animal. And just like the pig, you know, you can clean them up. I was listening to a sermon where a guy was telling me, you know, he was, he was sharing the gospel at somebody's house and out comes this room, this 200-pound pig, and he jumps up on the couch as he's sharing the gospel. Listen, we can decorate a pig. We can dress him up, we can clean him up, we can give him a bath, but you put a pig outside and give him a mud hole, he's going to wallow in it. Because it's in their nature. It's gross. It's gross. And so are false teachers. And so is it when we turn around and we go back to our old lifestyles. When we go back to doing the things that we used to do before God gave us a new creation in Christ. You know, many times we want to hop in an old vehicle and drive old vehicles when we have a brand new one. Some illustrations are the same. Some of us have our old nature still stored away in the garage and every time we like to take it for a ride. The problem is, is when we do that, we picture what a false teacher looks like. And so it's very important that we understand that we need not to go back to the old self. These false teachers are like animals. They're empty dogs. They have nothing inside like the dog has nothing inside unless he eats again from his own vomit. And they're dirty hogs. And you can fix them up on the outside, but on the inside they will always be an animal nature. And so if the Lord is drawing you to Himself this morning, I pray that you will give your life to Christ and allow Him to begin to mold you from the inside out. Let us pray.